Good morning. All right, we can do better than that. Good morning. All right, thank you. It's great to see everyone. Uh, my voice is a little raspy this morning because after 18 months of speaking to no one, I spent all day yesterday talking to people from about 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. at the fall retreat. So getting used to that social thing, I see some of you are back from spending the day yesterday at Mission Springs, and it was great to be around people. And one thing before we get started, uh, we do want to be praying for you. So if you want to text in some prayer requests, feel free to do that. The number for that is in your bulletin. Just go to pbc.org slash bulletin and let us know how we can pray for you. Joanne's going to do that when she comes back up. Well, my name is Paul, and I'm one of the pastors and elders here at the church. And I've been meeting a lot of new people because there's a lot of new people in our community and people are coming back after the pandemic. And I want to imagine... I want you to imagine with me uh, an interchange like this. So let's say I go up to somebody and I say, uh, hello, my name's Paul. And they say, uh, no, it's not. And I say, well, yeah, it is. And they say, no, I, I don't believe you. And I say, okay, well, um, how about I show you my driver's license? And I pull out my driver's license and I show it to them and they say, well, I don't believe in the US government. And I say, oh, okay. Um, so I, I call my parents in Houston and I say, hey, would you fly out here? So they fly to California. They come to this person. They say, hey, we're his parents. We named him Paul. That's his name. And they say, uh, no, you didn't. I don't believe you. What would I do? <laughs> how, would I, how would you prove to someone else who you are if they don't believe you? How do you demonstrate your identity to somebody who doesn't know you if they're not going to believe you? See, this issue of who we are and how we know who we are is something that the ancient Israelites faced in our story this morning. See, 2,500 years ago, what happened to the ancient Israelites is that they lost all of the things that told them who they were. And so they had to reestablish their identity. And that's why this story is so good for us where we are now. It's so relevant because we're coming back from this season where so many of the things that gave us our identity, so many of the patterns and rhythms and things that we would do regularly, so many of those things were, were taken away from us. And I know a lot of us, I know I've heard over and over again this, this question of when everything's gone, who am I? And now that we're coming back, how do I regain that sense of who I am? So last week, Scott kicked off this series in the book of Ezra called Return and Rebuild. And we're watching because of God stirring in the Spirit of his people, we're watching them come back to their land. And as we continue that story today, what we're going to see in the chapter 2 of Ezra is how they have to begin by recentering their identity. And that's going to be helpful for us because it's going to turn into an invitation for us to remember who we are. Remember who you are. Now, this is a critical issue because... The issue of identity is always an important one. 
When we're young, we're, we're trying to figure out who we are. We're trying to establish ourselves. In kind of the middle part of life, we're trying to make sure that those decisions we made were good ones and live into that identity. And then towards the end of life, we're trying to look back and say, what, what, what have I left? What's my legacy? Who was I to the people around me? So no matter where you are in life, you're always concerned with this fundamental question, who am I? And what I've heard over and over again from people coming back is, you know, as I return, I want to do it differently. I want to not let my life get to the place it got before. I want to have more intentionality. I want to value the things that are important. I want, I want to reshape myself in a different kind of way. And that's exactly what we see happening this morning in Ezra chapter 2. See, we see this group of people, and we're going to watch them over the course of this chapter. First, remember what they had lost. And then we're going to see them remind themselves who they are and then work to protect that identity. And finally, how they come together as a community to help each other do just that. Remember corporately who we are. So let's turn to Ezra chapter 2, and we'll see what we can learn from them. Our passage begins by remembering the past, remembering what had happened to them. Here's Ezra 2, verse 1. Now, these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and to Judah, each to his own town. So we start off by hearing, these were the people who were sent into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. See, they begin by remembering their past. They're referred to as the people of the province. That province is probably a Persia here. And so that, that's who they were. They're people of the exile. Now to understand the kind of trauma they had gone through, what significance that exile have, we, we have to rewind in the story a little bit. We have to go back to, to really grasp how devastating the events they had been through were to them. See, way back in the beginning, in, in Genesis 12, verse 2, God promised something to Abraham. This is what he says. He says, I will make of you a great nation. And then in verse 7, he says, to your offspring, I will give this land. Now, let's think about what God's doing here a minute. I think what he's promising Abraham is two things. First of all, an identity. He's telling Abraham, I will make you a great nation and your name shall be great. You will be someone. And second of all, what he's promising Abraham is an inheritance. I will give you the land. And in ancient Israel, the land was what you needed to make life work. If you had land, you'd be okay. Without land, who knows? Everything is up in the air. So God says to Abraham, I will give you this identity. I will make you my people and I will give you your inheritance. I will promise you the land. And that may seem abstract to us, but this is actually pretty much what we want out of life. 
all of our lives, we're, we're mostly trying to figure out who are we? What's my role? What's my relationship? Do I matter? Am I important? What is my identity? And then we're trying to make sure that we have the resources we need to make life work. That's most of what we spend our time worrying about, studying for, planning for, worrying that we won't work. It's who am I and do I have what I need to make life work? This is why it's so easy in our culture to focus on our careers. Because our careers, the way we think of them, are, are kind of similar to the way the ancient Israelites thought of the land. Our careers give us an identity. I am a fill in the blank, pastor, engineer, doctor, lawyer, whatever. I am this. And because I do that, I earn a salary, I earn some money, and that money is what I need to make life work. Our careers give us our identity and our inheritance. Of course, we know that you need more than a title for an identity, and you need more than money to make life work. But that's a topic for a separate sermon. <laughs> for now, what we want to recognize is that God promised his people these two things, their identity and their inheritance. And then right around 596, 594, in that area BC, they lost both of those things. Overnight, God took away from them their identity and their inheritance. So much so that this is how the prophet Hosea summarizes what happened to them. Here's Hosea 1, verse 9. You are not my people, and I am not your God. Think about that. Think about the depth of trauma that these people had been through. They had literally lost everything. They didn't live in their land. They were carted away to some other place. They were given new names because their old names wouldn't do in the new place. They had no land. They had no ability to make sure their life worked. They were completely subject to a foreign power that oppressed them. Everything had been lost. They were tempted then to define themselves by what they had lost. The passage opens up saying, the people of the province who had been exiles, who had been carried away, their loss, their tragedy, their trauma defined them. And I think that's a temptation for us as well. That when we've gone through something painful, we define ourselves in those terms. So I want to invite you to think about that for yourself. I'm not going to ask you to share this. There's no, there's no uh, you know, way for you to tell us this. This is just for you as you reflect in the spirit. What have you gone through? What have you lost? And I want to invite you to think of just a word or a phrase, some concise way to summarize that for yourself. Maybe it has to do with COVID, something you've lost over the past 18 months, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's a job or some part of your identity. What have you gone through? As you come here this morning to this place, what is your past? What identity are you tempted to define yourself by what has happened to you? 
And as we continue in the chapter, what we're going to see is these people making a shift from that identity to something new. What comes next in our passage is a dizzying list of names. More than 100 names over 50 plus verses that just go through name after name after name after name. I, I haven't looked all, I, I think it might be the longest list of names in the Bible. It's amazing. So we're going to read every single one of them. I'm just kidding. We're not. We are going to read a lot, though. But what I want us to notice here is that what's going on, because of what had happened to them, these people wanted to reestablish their identity. They wanted to reestablish. As they came back, they wanted to assert, this is who I am. This is who we are coming back. And the way these names are listed are separated by categories of referring to them. So we're going to read just a few names in each category. It's still going to be a lot. And what I want to invite you to do as you hear this massive list of names is remember that they aren't just names, that these are people with a story whose names are recorded in our scriptures for a reason. So the list begins with the leaders. This is uh, Ezra 2, verse 2. We hear about, uh, they came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reeliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvi, Rehum, and Baana. The number of the men of the people of Israel. You may have noticed that there's 12 names. So this is a new group. 12 is an important number in the Old Testament. And you may also have noticed that now they said the number of, what? The people of Israel. They're no longer the people of the province. Now they are the people of Israel. They are reforming who they are, remembering it for themselves. And now we get the list. And so first we start off with uh, people identified by their families. This is verses 3 to 5. The sons of Parosh. I'm just going to uh, round up all these numbers so we don't spend a lot of time. The sons of Parosh, 2,000. The sons of Shephathiah, 300. The sons of Arah, 700. The sons of Pahath Moab, namely the sons of Jeshua and Joab, 2,000. So these are names of people referenced by their families. And then we move on. We get a lot of those. And then we get a reference of people based on where they came from. Listen to verses 27 to 29. The men of Michmas, 100. The men of Bethel and Ai, 200. The sons of Nebo, 52. People based on their place of origin. Then we get people identified by the role they have in the community. The priests, the sons of Jediah, of the house of Jeshua, 900. The sons of Immer, 1,000. The sons of Peshur, 1,200. The sons of Harim, a thousand. Remember, these aren't just names, these are people. After the priests, we get the Levites in verse 40. The Levites, the sons of Jeshua and Cadmiel, of the sons of Hodaviah, 74. After the Levites, we get the singers and the gatekeepers and the temple servants in 41 to 43. 
the singers, the sons of Asaph, 128, the sons of the gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Ater, the sons of Talmen, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hatita, and the sons of Shobai, in all 139. And finally then, down in verse 55, we get the servants of Solomon. We're not sure exactly who this refers to, but they're listed here in verse 55. The sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Sotai, the sons of Hasophereth, the sons of Peruda, etc., etc. So what's going on here? We have names of people identified by their families, by where they came from, by what they did in the community, by their role in the religious life. Isn't this how we identify ourselves? Who are you? Do you have siblings? Where are you from? What do you do? These are the basic markers of our identity. And so what they're doing is, as they're returning, they're saying, this is who we are. We are part of this people. And what I want to give you this morning is the opportunity to do just that. See, this was a particular group of people returning and rebuilding. And here in the room and on the live stream, we have a different particular group of people. But what I want to invite you to do is to to say, to claim that you are on that list. And so the way I want you to do that is to pull out your phones and go to pbc.org slash name. I'd I'd love if we could all be included in this list. Go to pbc.org slash name. And there's gonna be a place there for you to put your name. Now you can use your first name, your, your full name, you can use your initials, you can use the name you give at Starbucks, you can put Mickey Mouse, what, what, however you wanna identify yourself. I want you to, to claim that you are part of the people of the return. And we do this for two reasons. First of all, this is for you, for you to do something to say, Count me in. God is doing something in my life. God is rebuilding something for me, and I want my name on the list. I want to declare that this is true for me. But this is also for all of us, so that we can see each other, so that we can be encouraged by this truth that we are part, not just of a single person coming back, but we are part of a community of people who are returning and rebuilding. Now we're going to see this list of names as it scrolls before us. We're going to see all the people that are included as people of the return. These are all of us who say, include me. And what's important about this is this is our identity. This is us saying, put my name on the list. This is true. This is our community. And God is doing something unique and special in us, in this list, here, in this room, on the live stream, down at the retreat. This group of people is a special group that God is going to work through. This is who we are. These are our names. So what we're going to realize next, though, is that 
having, having articulated who they are, God's people want to do something specific. They want to safeguard their identity. They want to make sure that this identity doesn't fade away. It doesn't get lost as they rebuild it. It's the same sentiment that some of you have said, I want to do it differently this time. I want to come back different. So what we see them doing now is uh, in Ezra 2, 59 and 62 to 63, we, we, we hear of something curious and it's going to be confusing at first, but then we're going to understand why they do this. Listen to verse 59 and then 62 to 63. They say, the following were those who came up from Tel Malah, Tel Hershah, Cherub, Adan, and Immer. Though they could not prove their father's houses or their descent, whether they belonged to Israel. And then in 62, we read, these sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but they were not found there. And so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until there should be a priest to consult Urim and Thummim. So what's going on here? Why would they want to exclude certain people? I mean, they're, they're coming back, they're returning. Why tell certain people you can't be part of this? It has to do with why they went into exile in the first place. See, what they had done, the, the mistakes they had made that made them go into Israel were that they had abandoned worship of God in favor of idolatry. They had allowed themselves to be carried away and worship false gods instead of worshiping the true God. We know this from uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah says that, um, why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and their foreign idols. See, this is the reason by which God said, this is why I'm sending you into exile. See, God didn't abandon them. He didn't say you are not my people because of himself. He was recognizing that they abandoned God for sake of idolatry. And so they had sacrificed their own identity and one of the main reasons that happened was because they had foreign influence in the land. So what they're saying now is, as we come back, we want to do it differently. We don't want to make the same mistakes now that we made before. So to ensure that, to protect their identity, they want to make sure that only true Israelites are included in this new effort. They're desperate not to make the same mistakes again. So they exclude people whose identity can't be confirmed. Now they leave open the possibility for God to speak through the Urim and Thummim as a way of validating them, but at the outset, they begin by excluding them. So let's consider this. So what do we think of this? Is this a reasonable thing to do? Should we appreciate this or, or criticize them for it? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I think their desire to safeguard their identity is critical. See, we've seen them think about what they've lost. We've seen them assert who they are, and now they want to protect that identity. And that is absolutely the right thing to do. 
But what happens is they, they do it in slightly the wrong way. See, they're so worried about their identity, they focus on the, on the surface aspects, on the genetics of it. We're only going to include Israelites. And what we learn later in the New Testament is this. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. This is Romans 9, verse 8. He says this. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. And earlier in Romans, he says that it is those who share the faith of Abraham who are his children. And so we learn that it's not genetics that determines your identity. It's faith. God gives us our identity when we believe in him. Even back in the Old Testament, it is the children of the promise who share the faith of Abraham, not his DNA, who are the people of Israel. And so for us then, the question becomes, how can we safeguard our identity? See, we learn two things from the Israelites. We learn that number one, protecting our identity is critical. But we also learn that we are prone to focus on the wrong markers of our identity. We are prone to protect the things that we think make us who we are instead of protecting the thing that actually makes us who we are. So how do we do that? How do we safeguard our faith? How do we stay centered in our identity that's based in our faith in Jesus Christ? Stay centered in your identity. I want you to think back to that word or phrase that you might have used to describe what you have been through. You might be tempted to identify yourself using that. You are who you, you are what you have lost. But that's not true. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. You are a forgiven and redeemed new creation. You are a member of the people of the God of Israel who created the earth and the heavens, the sea and the sky. You are beloved. You are redeemed. You are made new. You are valued. That is who you are because of faith, because of what God has done for you. What can you do to safeguard that identity? You are prone to forget that. We are all, as the song we sang said, prone to wander. So what can we build into our lives? What can we do to help us remember? You know, I, I know lots of people that do different things. Some of them are extreme. You know, some, some people get tattoos to, to remember who they are in Jesus. Some people write Bible verses and put them on their bathroom mirrors. Some people put stickers on their car. Some people hang crosses around their neck or do something so that you have a way to remember, this is who I am. Even though I'm prone to forget, even though I think I'm defined by my family or by my career or by the place I'm from, those don't define me. Jesus gives me my identity. What can you do to safeguard your identity.
what we see the Israelites doing is after they make this genetic exclusion, then they come together as a community to help each other do just this. Gather with God as their center. Listen to what happens in Ezra 2, verses 64 to 69. The whole assembly together was 42,000, besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,000, and they had 200 male and female singers. Their horses were 700, their mules were 200, their camels were 400, and their donkeys were 6,000. All right, lots of animals. Some of the heads of the families, when they came to the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, made freewill offerings for the house of God to erect it on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury of the work 61,000 derricks of gold, 5,000 minus of silver, and 100 priests' garments. I thought this would be a great time to kick off phase 17 of our remodel. Um, just kidding. Uh, we're pretty much done with the remodel, praise God. So we won't be asking for more money. But the question here for us, I think, is what were they doing and how can we follow in their example? See, what they were doing were contributing what they had to build the temple, which was a, a reminder of the presence of God in the midst of their community. The temple was the physical presence of God on earth. And it served as a kind of icon of identity for the community. Because the temple was at their center, God was at their center. This was a physical reminder of who they were. It was a schedule reminder of who they were because they came to the temple three times a year. It was something they could look to and when they forget, they could go to it and say, oh yes, I'm a child of God. And what they did was they each contributed what they had for the sake of the community to remember their identity. So what does that look like for us? What does it look like for you to contribute what you have to help this group of people remember who we are? In this case, it's silver and gold and priestly garments. Those aren't necessarily the things we need as a community. But what we believe here at PBC is that we need what you have. What can you contribute to this community. It's one of our most deeply held beliefs as a church is that we minister to each other, that the body together comes together and we come with what we have and we offer it and God does something incredible with it. A few weeks ago at the Discover PBC lunch, we did an icebreaker where we talked about new hobbies that we'd picked up during the pandemic. And so we heard about things like learning to make kombucha, and um, sourdough, and martial arts, and uh, what were some of the other ones? Um, fish frying, surf lessons, all of these things. And I joked with that group that we were writing all those down because we were gonna ask everybody to lead seminars on each of those topics. Uh, but it's really not that much of a joke because that's how we work as a church. Whatever it is that you bring, whoever you are, 
However God has gifted you uniquely, you bring that here and God makes something of it. That's what Scott was talking about last week with the idea of us being the body of Christ ministering to each other. And out of that, we remind each other of who we are. That's how this community works. And so for the Israelites, it was the temple in their midst. For us, it's whatever it might be. It's kind of the exciting thing. We don't know. We don't have a plan for what it's going to look like. We trust the spirit working in us to lead us and create what he will. So let's go back to that exercise at the beginning that I started with. Let's, let's imagine again that I'm talking to that person and I tell them my name and they are just adamant about not believing me that my name is Paul. I'd be pretty frustrated, I think. Wouldn't you be frustrated? But, but here's the thing. It doesn't matter if they believe me. It would be an annoying situation, but it doesn't matter whether they know who I am because I know who I am. And that's what matters. And so as we think about these Israelites returning from exile back to the land, back to the temple, we see them in that formation process, remembering who they are so that this time around, things can be different. We saw them remembering what had happened to them, and that's an important thing for us. We have to deal with the past. We have to admit and work through past trauma. But they don't stay there. Then they say, these are the people who came back. These are their names. This is us. We are the new people of Israel. And then they take extreme measures to safeguard that identity, to protect it from getting lost. And then they come together as a community, contributing what they have to focus on their identity together. This is their example to us, and it's a powerful one for us to follow. We're going to do a few things here uh, to help us do that as we continue in the book of Ezra. What we'd love to do is to collect some stories of what God is doing in your life to rebuild. Because those encourage us, those build us up, those help us to see how God might be working in our own lives. So beginning next week in the fellowship hall, we're going to have a little a booth set up, a little camera booth. And we're just going to ask you, maybe right after the service, in between services, just to, to walk over there and just record a few sentences of something God might be doing to rebuild in your life. Or maybe it's something you want him to be doing, but he hasn't started doing it yet. Some sharing of how you resonate with this idea of returning and rebuilding. So that opportunity will be over there. Um, if you don't volunteer, I'm sure we will voluntold you. So uh, don't be surprised if one of the pastors, you know, slinks up to you on the patio and says, hey, let's, uh, let's go for a walk to the fellowship hall and uh, let's hear what you have to say. So we will, we will lovingly encourage you to share if uh, necessary. But then we're going to use those little clips and we'll, we'll share them before the sermons on Sunday morning so that we can hear from each other. With that said now, what we're going to do is we're going to move into a time of remembering who we are through communion. So I want to invite the band to come back up and as they do that, remind us that this meal that Jesus gave us is a celebration 
of what Jesus did to make us who we are. You should have uh, the, the little uh, elements in a, in a pouch, the little all-in-one things. If you didn't grab one, they're, they're out there on the table back there. You can, you can, grab, you can run up and, and grab one if you, if you still need one. But Jesus gave us this meal and he said, when you do this, remember. It's a meal of remembrance. Remember him and remember his work that rescues us. His body shed for us. His blood poured out for us. And because of that sacrifice, our old, the, the past, whatever has happened to us is gone and the new has come and we are remade in Christ. So I just wanna pray for us and ask God's presence and then uh, there'll, be, there'll be some kind of background music for you to reflect and to take communion on your own. And then we'll continue with worship through song out of that. Father, we are grateful and humbled that you give us an identity. That all of our efforts to figure out who we are, to protect who we are, to assert who we are, they're all in vain to some extent because you tell us who we are. You give us that. Help us to rest in that. Help us to remember it day by day, minute by minute when we are prone to forget. And help us as a community to come together to build each other up as we remind ourselves of what you have made us. We love you, God. We are so grateful that you've loved us. May this meal, this bread and this juice be that physical reminder of who we are in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.